1: Welcome to the Recount. I'm Rena Ninen, and you're listening to the Recount Daily Pod.
0: They're not selling heroin in grocery stores in Oregon, but what they've done is that they've essentially removed the threat of jail time for small amounts of possession.
1: That was Herman Lopez, senior correspondent at Vox, talking about Oregon's recent move to decriminalize small amounts of drugs. Will it have a big impact on current drug use? And will other states likely follow suit? We'll get into that a little later in the show. But first, here are your morning headlines. Today's Wednesday, July 7th. There are now two Americas, vaccinated America and unvaccinated America. In a push to get more people vaccinated, President Joe Biden warned Americans to take the Delta variant seriously. The Delta variant is already responsible for half of all cases in many parts of this country. It's more easily transmissible, potentially more dangerous. Regions with low vaccination rates are bracing for a surge in hospitalizations. According to Washington Post-ABC poll conducted last month, 93% of Democrats have been vaccinated or plan to get vaccinated, compared to only 49% of Republicans. We now head to Afghanistan, where American troop withdrawal is now 90% complete. Taliban forces have taken advantage of the drawdown in recent weeks, seizing territory, taking nearly a third of Afghans' rural districts, along with several provincial capitals. The fighting has caused over 1,000 Afghan military forces to flood into neighboring Tajikistan. Nonprofit agencies are sounding the alarm on a new refugee crisis. Meanwhile in Doha, Taliban leaders have gained some legitimacy as talks to end the four decades-long Afghan war continue. Afghans leaders fear the Taliban will eventually use their military victories to overthrow the current government. U.S. sprinter Shakari Richardson won't be heading to the Tokyo Olympics this year. U.S. track and field officials did not include her on the official Olympic roster, released Tuesday night. Richardson tested positive for marijuana last week and was hit with a 30-day suspension by the U.S. anti-doping agency. The suspension would have expired in time for her to run the 100-meter relay race. In a statement, U.S. Track and Field agreed that the World Anti-Doping Agency rules related to marijuana should be reevaluated. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Congressman Jamie Raskin co-signed a letter to the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency encouraging them to rethink Richardson's suspension. A similar petition, Let Shakari Run, has garnered nearly half a million signatures and counting. In the United States' weed is now legal in more than a dozen states, including Oregon, where Richardson was competing. Speaking of Oregon, it's now time for our Daily Deep Dive, where we'll dig into the issue of drug legalization. Fifty years after Nixon famously kicked off his National War on Drugs campaign, drug possession is a leading cause of arrest in the United States, with one arrest about every 23 seconds. This past February, Oregon voted to decriminalize possession of small amounts of heroin, methamphetamine, LSD, oxycodone, and other drugs, dramatically lowering their arrest rates, freeing police resources to focus on more serious crime, and reducing prison expenses. As more and more states look to legalize drugs beyond weed, what are some of the impacts, and could there be unintended consequences? Here to help us dig in is Vox senior correspondent, Herman Lopez. Herman, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks all for having me.
1: So you look at these numbers, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, almost half the country, 44% of the population now live in states where pot is legal. Why has it been expedited?
0: There's a few theories about why this has happened, essentially. One is just people have seen the failures of the war on drugs. I mean, if the war on drugs worked, you would expect that there would not be major drug overdose crises. And yet the US is in the biggest drug overdose crisis in its history right now with the opioid epidemic. So I think that has just led a lot of people to question, like, is this policy even working? But then also people have seen the costs, right? So the higher incarceration rates, people getting arrested, people getting criminal records. On top of that, I think the internet has just expedited a lot of this, like conversations about um, like how dangerous is marijuana really. Like you, You've seen some of this shift in the polls in the past few years and decades where people have started to think marijuana is not as dangerous as other legal drugs like alcohol and tobacco. And I think that's let, all of that combined has just led a lot of people to think like, do we really need to be punishing these drugs so harshly? And and do we really need to be keeping like marijuana illegal?
1: What do you think has led to this warp speed of decriminalizing marijuana? Is it just me or does it feel like all of a sudden states are opening up and saying, hey, it's okay?
0: No, it's it's definitely been a very rapid change. I mean, if you looked a decade back, like just 10 years ago, no states had legalized marijuana at all yet for recreational use, I should say. Some had legalized for medical use. So in, in the span of just 10 years, we've gone from zero to almost 20. Like right now, depending on how you count it, we're talking about like 17 or 18 states plus D.C. having legalized marijuana it's it's just a, an extremely fast turnaround and i think the the big thing is first of all voters put this on the ballot like they like these campaigns put this on the ballot and then voters approved it I think that surprised a lot of people. I think politicians are, are often skeptical that even if voters are saying something in polls that they actually support it. But I think with legalization, we've just seen that is actually the case. Like the, the majority of Americans support legalization. And in state after state, even Republican states, this is not just a Democratic state thing. Like We've seen Montana and South Dakota vote to legalize. I, I think that's led a lot of politicians to get more comfortable with the idea. And that's also led even legislatures like Connecticut, New York, and so forth, to start Start legalizing as well. So it's kind of like two paths here. One, it's just how attitudes are changing broadly, but also politicians, I think, have seen this is actually a popular issue among people. And so they've gotten more comfortable with actually bringing it up and pushing it forward.
1: How did public opinion change on legalization?
0: Based on my reading of the polls, it's, it's mainly this, this idea that like marijuana really isn't that dangerous. Like th- there are still risks with marijuana, like people can use too much. And there are self-reported addiction cases out there, but it's, it's not, it doesn't cause overdose deaths. And it certainly doesn't seem to be as dangerous as, say, alcohol or tobacco, which cause many more deaths a year.
1: And then you've got a state like Oregon that this year decriminalized a lot more than just pot.
0: Right. This is, I think, the most interesting case, because this is something that I think you've seen some advocates pushing for in the past few years. I'm kind of surprised that it happened so quickly. But essentially, it's the next phase of this, where you've seen countries like Portugal. Portugal really led the charge on this, like starting around the early 2000s. They decriminalized all drugs. And what they saw is drug use did not increase at significant levels. And problems related to drugs, so things like HIV from sharing needles and whatnot, actually decrease. And if you talk to a lot of the Portuguese officials about this, they'll tell you things like, well, what we found is that once drugs were decriminalized, people were more willing to get help. Like they didn't have to worry about like seeking help leads to an arrest record. And so building off that, advocates have for years said, look, this is the next step. Like marijuana legalization isn't enough. We shouldn't be locking people up for using drugs or having drug problems. We should be giving them help. And I think that's where this decriminalization measures have come up and why they succeeded in Oregon. To be clear, it's, it's not full legalization. They're not selling heroin in grocery stores in Oregon. But what they've done is that they've essentially removed the threat of jail time for small amounts of possession.
1: So they're not saying, okay, it's okay, go ahead, use as much heroin as you want, shoot it up in your arm. What's the fine line that they're crossing here?
0: Yeah, they're trying to balance essentially like, one, you should not have a mass market for heroin. Like, that still remains illegal. Like, they're trying to prevent commercialization, uh, essentially, of of drugs, which we've seen with alcohol and, and tobacco can lead to higher rates of use. But at the same time, they're saying, like, look, if you are just using, and particularly if you have an addiction... What you need is public health. Like you need medical help for that if you're willing to get it. You need harm reduction services. So like needle exchanges and whatnot. Those are the places to help you. A jail is not going to help you. And in fact, there are some studies showing that jail can actually make it much worse because with the way the U.S. criminal justice system works, addiction treatment in jails and prisons is often terrible. So people will come out of jails and prisons and actually have like much, much higher chances of overdosing. Essentially, if you imagine somebody is like, has an opioid addiction, and they're cut off medications that help them stay off opioids, then one, they're going to have cravings again, right? Because they're no longer on medications for opioid addiction. But two, once they come out of jail or prison, their tolerance that they have built up over time will have been lost because they weren't consuming opioids in jail or prison. So now they try the same dose that they had before, they were incarcerated and because they're not tolerant to that full dose, they're much more likely to overdose. And so you you see these kinds of cases, like there have been studies out there showing that when people who use drugs are immediately out of prison or jail, they're seven to 13 times more likely to overdose. It's just one way that the, clearly the criminal justice system has not helped in this regard.
1: You know, I grew up in the Nancy Reagan, just say no to drugs, 1980s generation. What do you think this means for us as a country? Do you see more states following Oregon's lead?
0: Yeah, we've already seen like, advocates starting to move in that direction of really pushing this more on a national level. I mean, this is how the marijuana legalization model started, like Colorado and Washington legalized, and that gave advocates to sign that, like, hey, look, this is something that voters in the U.S. will approve. Maybe we should try pushing it elsewhere. So my guess is like in many of these states where you saw marijuana legalized first, you're probably going to see this push to decriminalize drugs. In California, in, in Washington, like a lot of the West Coast places, but also even some like New England states, like Massachusetts, you might see a broader push to decriminalize all drugs generally. And going from that just say no era, I think what's what the distinction that advocates have made that I think is really important here is like, look, they are not saying that they love that people use drugs, obviously. They are, they are just saying there are better ways to deal with this problem than bringing the criminal justice system, bringing police, bringing prisons and jails into this.
1: Drug possession is actually the most arrested offense in the United States. There's an arrest on drug possession, every 23 seconds. It's just crazy. This is according to the Drug Policy Alliance. Are people talking about the impact this could have on prisons and jails? Is this something that you think could change our justice system, our our prison system?
0: The impact might be mixed in some ways, because on one hand, there will be just fewer people arrested if if there are fewer people getting arrested for drug possession, like you mentioned, like much, much, much fewer people getting arrested. On the other hand, it, it is true that in the U.S. system, the majority of people particularly in state prisons, are in for long, worse offenses, like violent offenses. And that's just because they get much longer punishments. So even though there aren't as many of them, since they are getting longer punishments, they're just more likely to stick around prisons for longer. So this this might not be enough to solve our entire mass incarceration problem. We, we still have a lot of issues. Like the U.S. just has much longer prison sentences across the board, not just with drugs. But it will have an impact, I think, in, in just the amount of people that come into contact with the criminal. The justice system.
1: And it's clear, you look at the statistics, the war on drugs has predominantly affected communities of color. How do you think this might affect incarceration and felony charges?
0: Yeah, with incarceration rates overall, because prison sentences are so long for just about all crimes, we might not see a huge impact in the terms of like falling rates, but we will see just fewer people can come into contact with the criminal justice system. So I think the, the biggest thing for communities of color is hopefully... Police will spend a lot less of their time on these petty offenses and then maybe spend more of their time on more serious crimes. I think it it remains to be seen whether we'll see all that come up. The the U.S. criminal justice system is very good at swinging back to what I think many people consider unnecessary punitiveness over low-level offenses, but I think the hope here.
1: Mm. Has the Biden White House weighed in on the decriminalization of marijuana or even the decision in Oregon to decriminalize a lot more than just pot?
0: So far, the Biden administration has said that they are not for the legalization of marijuana, even though if you look at the polling, the vast majority of Democrats are for the legalization of of marijuana. And it's kind of an, an unusual thing. I mean, Biden was one of the senators throughout the 80s that he didn't just... Like support a lot of these anti-drug laws. He like wrote them, so I think it is an inherent belief for him that like, look, he grew up in that Nancy Reagan "just say no" era, and it, it's it's stuck with him in in some ways. But it, it, it is strange politically if you just look at it from a political angle, because the vast majority of Democrats support legalization, depending on the polls, even the majority of Republicans support legalization. So Biden might actually be behind the median Republican voter here. But it it's something that we have seen the White House. I think they're just really scared of doing anything on this issue that might upset a, a certain faction of moderate voters.
1: Well, we've got to take a quick break. We'll, we'll be back with Herman Lopez on the Recount Daily Pod. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, Speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying, and even deadly, is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by Nitsa and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most World dangerous morning show. Hey! Welcome back to the Recount Daily Pod, podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. We're here with Herman Lopez, senior correspondent at Vox. Herman, you said in an opinion piece four years ago that the opioid epidemic, along with tobacco and alcohol, are clear reflections that our government does not regulate drugs well. Do you still agree with that?
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. It's like one of the biggest concerns with any legalization efforts going forward, even with marijuana. Marijuana is obviously not a drug that causes as big of societal problems as alcohol or tobacco does. But I, I've talked to a few experts about this. The commercialization of marijuana just makes us uneasy because of what it what it pretends for, for other kinds of drugs. Even if this drug isn't dangerous, is it really something you want marketed like in commercials that might appeal to children. We've, we've certainly seen that with alcohol over the years. We certainly saw it with, with tobacco, although we've managed to crack down on that. And I think that's the concern going forward is like as we loosen restrictions on some of these drugs, we want to be really careful with the line we're walking because historically the U.S. has just not done a good job regulating any kind of drug. I mean, it, it's kind of like the U.S. just has a problem with extremes where on one hand, we're way too harsh with with criminalization. We just impose the strictest penalties possible. On the other hand, we just once we legalize, we just get way too loose. Let alcohol and tobacco companies, let opioid companies do pretty much anything they would like.
1: I want to go back to Portugal. I'm just fascinated by this. They decriminalized drug possession almost a decade ago in in 2001. And you look sort of at their numbers now. Drug use has remained about the same. Arrest, incarceration, disease, overdose. What do you think we can learn from Portugal? And do you think Portugal is really more of the outlier?
0: What we can learn from Portugal is that this policy can be done in a way that doesn't lead to more drug use. And I should emphasize that it wasn't just that they decriminalized drugs, they also went in the direction of providing much more addiction treatment and much more harm reduction services. So it just goes to show that like, look, if you combine both these policies, you can actually make the outcomes here better. I think the the question is, if you just do decriminalization or if you just do addiction treatment, does that lead to the results Portugal saw my guess is probably not. But if you combine these approaches, making it easier for people to get treatment, and at the same time, you're also saying, look, you can get treatment without worrying about getting a, an arrest or criminal record, then maybe that can work pretty well. And now it's not even just the U.S. looking at this, but other countries, too, like Canada. There's a lot of conversations about drug decriminalization now. Um, I think it's something that we're going to see more and more countries that, like look at and possibly adopt moving forward.
1: How do you think this might affect something like the
0: Olympics? a very tricky area here. My understanding of their rules is they generally try to follow like what the the laws are in the countries and internationally. And internationally, there are a bunch of treaties that ensure that Essentially, places should keep drugs illegal. This is one thing that people don't really know about, like, Canada legalized marijuana a a few years back. And technically, that violates international treaties that Canada is under. The questions are, like, who really enforces that international law and how much trouble can a country really get into for, for doing that? But it is technically a violation. So I think that that's where this issue gets really complicated legally. If you're an international organization like the olympics and you're looking at whether you should support international law or national law or or state laws in some cases like if somebody in the u.s for example is using marijuana and it's legal in their state but it's actually illegal nationally how is a body like the olympics supposed to handle that does that disqualify that person from competing and we've seen that today like there are athletes who are actually getting disqualified from competing because they've consumed marijuana. I think that's just going to open more questions about like whether this is okay, like whether this is really necessary to begin with.
1: What do you think decriminalizing drugs is going to mean for the United
0: States overall? At first, just be this symbol like, look, this country has tried this policy now for 50 years of really approaching drugs in a harsh way and now the public is turning against it. So I think that will just be the biggest thing. I mean, it's, it'll be a culture shock, I think, in some ways, not just to the criminal justice system, but to the public and, and whatnot. I think my question, though, is whether we do see in Oregon if drug use rates go up. If that happens, then there could be a backlash. Or if, on the other hand, states take advantage of the situation of these laws to instead invest more in addiction treatment and drug use declines. And maybe we start to see like the reversal of this opioid epidemic, which by the way, has gotten worse during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, if we actually start seeing the country move in that direction, where, where things are getting better, then maybe this will catch on naturally. And I think at that point, we could just see a, a criminal justice system that's less punitive on these low-level offenses and make the, the system work more as I think a lot of us envision it working in our heads.
1: As a country, what do you think recreational drug use will look like in the next five to 10 years?
0: It's such a difficult question to answer because so much is changing so rapidly. Marijuana is just one of these issues where we haven't even seen a rapid change within decades, but years. I think essentially we we have already seen that in, in states with marijuana legalization, Adult use rates go up a little, but not that much. Youth use rates actually have not gone up. And in fact, in in some of these states that have legalized have gone down. And I think it's, I think what we'll see in the next few years is perhaps more people saying like, oh, look, my state legalized, maybe I can try that. And maybe that'll lead to more people like just using marijuana in general. I know a lot of people are worried that like marijuana leads to other kinds of drug use based on the evidence there's there's just there's really just no evidence of that
1: so if i try a cbd gummy it's probably unlikely that i'm going to be snorting coke that next weekend
0: <laughs> right i mean there are and, and to this point there are millions and millions of people using marijuana in the us today who do not use cocaine or heroin like so it's just very strange to think that just because you try like a one joint you're going to be trying cocaine in a few months. That's that's just not how it's worked in reality.
1: It's fascinating. I still don't think Nancy Reagan would have approved, but <laughs> how far our country has come from the Reagan years?
0: Right. I mean, things are changing so rapidly in this space. It is, it is quite remarkable. Herman
1: Lopez, senior correspondent at Vox. Thank you so much, Herman, for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks all for having me.
1: And for The Look Ahead, here's what else we're watching today. President Joe Biden heads to Crystal Lake, Illinois, pushing his bipartisan infrastructure program to the Midwest. The plan calls for $1.2 trillion in spending over the next five years. That includes more than $300 billion for transportation projects. It's expected to bring high-speed broadband to American homes, including 35% of rural families who have no access. Meanwhile, in Florida, the possibility of life-threatening storm surges, flooding, and potential tornadoes. The Tampa Bay area is a big concern as Elsa makes her way up the West Coast. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says the storm is expected to make landfall Wednesday morning. And finally, former President Jimmy Carter and former First Lady Rosalind Carter are celebrating a huge milestone today, 75 years of marriage. That's the longest marriage of any U.S. president in history. Their secret? According to President Carter, it's the simple things like accommodating each other, allowing for plenty of space, and looking for things to do together. For married couples who thought the pandemic was a long haul, the Carters celebrating 75. Congratulations. This is the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from Recount and iHeartRadio. Thank you to Herman Lopez from Vox for being on the show. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Recount Daily Pod. Leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rina Ninen.
0: My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.